Hey everyone, it's Amber Love and you are listening to another episode of Vodka O'Clock Podcast from AmberUnmasked.com. The show and the website and basically everything that I do is backed by generous supporters at Patreon. If you want to join up, just go to Patreon.com slash AmberUnmasked and for as little as a dollar a month, you can help my tip jar grow. So joining me back on the show today, I cannot believe it's been four years, Shannon Wheeler. Shannon Wheeler's here. Holy shit. It's good to be here. Thank you. Four years. Four years. Really? Oh, my God. And it was was hysterical last time. I mean, I loved it. I'm like, oh, he's never going to remember, you know. But um, that was great. So you got got a new book that we just have to talk about. because, I mean, obviously, you're prolific and get a lot of cartoons out and everything. So, um, you know, you're busy with New Yorker stuff and Coffee Man stuff and, you know, everything else going on. But shit, my president says the illustrated tweets of Donald J. Trump is coming out this summer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We're, um, the, the soft release is uh, 4th of July. Okay. And then and then mid August we'll have you know like it'll hit the stores. But yeah, Fourth of July we thought was kind of an appropriate. That is appropriate. I'm actually like, uh, it, it. Did you hear my hesitation in saying my president? Because I've never said that before. It's weird. There's I can't. definitely. You know that was part of it. Is I, I kind of feel like part. As a country, we are digesting this information and we're trying to come to terms with it, and it's unpalatable to to a lot of people it really is so uh, and he makes it so easy to hate him yes (laughs) (laughs) he does i mean comedy this has been comedy gold like i mean this is the one time where i can honestly say i mean of a of a politician anyway not just you know like some crazy drunk Alec Baldwin tirade or something but i mean this is this is one of those times where we can say i don't know if this is the onion or if this is real yeah i've been caught a few times where i'll get a tweet forwarded to me or something i'm like oh crap this is crazy and but it was completely believable and then i look it up like okay this was a fu- this was a joke yeah. but it you know it would have to do with like world war 3 or um, or women, or minorities, or vaccines, and but it was so believable because he's done that so many, said things about those things so many times that it's like, oh, okay, well, it's just not that crazy, you know. But then, yes, yeah, so not like not a day goes by that he doesn't say something stupid or arrogant. So, I mean, you've you know, like you said, we've got a July Fourth, you know, kind of, kind, you know, first publication date coming out, but. Since he's tweeting every day something stupid, how do, how could you cut off and and then like submit this to the publisher top shelf and and just go oh god no I've got another one to do. <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. That was that was really tough. Is like what's the cutoff date and and I kept saying oh no we got to squeeze this one in and then we'd bump one from early in the book to squeeze a new different one in. But and then finally I thought you know what I could do is just make some zines to keep up. Like, there's no reason for me to stop just because I finished the book. It is cathartic for me where I read something, I get angry about it, and then I cartoon about it. It's like the same thing I did in high school where my teacher would say something stupid and I'd draw a silly picture about my teacher and then 
So it's it's very familiar in a way in terms of how I'm making content. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean it's like you know the music of the '60s. It's <laughs> you just gotta you're just channeling it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, and it's a feed. And I wake up in the mornings and I it's like, oh, I'll see what new content I have today. And um, yeah, and and the drawings like sometimes I'll tighten them up and try to do a good drawing, but most of the time I'm just kind of just thinking, you know, I'm not going to take this that seriously and I'm going to have fun with it and just sort of let myself be loose with it and see what, and, and that's been really liberating in a way too. Uh, you know, I'm not doing crappy drawings, but I'm, you know, it's, it's loose. Well, it's, it fits because, um, like you pointed out in the, the intro of, of the book, you're drawing him like this, you know, tantrum throwing toddler. And, you know, it's not like it, you don't need, like, extraordinary detail the way you, the, you know, the political cartoons of Cagle or whatever go. You know? Right. And he's very much about broad strokes. Um, and so he'll say something about with just nothing to back it up. He just throws something out. So there is an appropriateness to have a childlike drawing in response. I started off tr- when I first had this as, as a thing to do. I was drawing him as an ogre and this kind of mean-spirited, large, fat man. Um, and a lot of people are drawing him that way. It's like, let's make him grotesque. And it just wasn't fitting because a lot of what he's doing and saying is, is coming from a very childlike place. Yeah, so ultimately that's, yeah, I wanted to do it that way. Well, and it fit then. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, he is a very large person. And, <laughs> you know, that's what people always did with, you know, I'm in New Jersey, and that's what Governor Christie is like, too. Really loud, big mouth, large man. And, you know, so there's, like, the caricature is already there. Like, it's built yes. in. Um, and the two of them together was just, like, bananas. I mean. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, he just tossed Christy aside too. Like he chewed yeah. him up and was like, "Okay, I'm done with you." And yeah, like go fetch my McDonald's. <laughs> amazing, just amazing. Like, it's, yeah, to, to see a, to see this governor who is such a bully here, kowtow and just be the little like puppy dog to do something. Amazing. So, oh my god, it was just it was mind blowing. It's like, oh, there's someone bigger and scarier than you. Like, come on. <laughs> and there's such a history of Trump in New York, too. And every yes. I mean, he, New Yorker I talk to is, just says, oh, yeah, we know him well. We've known him since the 80s. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just, I mean, like, the he's opened crap in New Jersey. And I guess, I don't know, he he was a Jersey resident, I think. And, um, you know, he's got the golf course here that he's at, like, you know, every few weeks. So uh, it's just it's like get out of here. Like we've got enough problems. (laughs) Now you got your White House, and you think you have your Winter White House. You can literally leave New Jersey and never come back. Well, he's yeah. I mean, yeah, he'll be around for a bit. Two years or eight years. Oh my god! Oh my god! How did you handle election night? What was, what was that like? uh, you know, I I I I thought, oh, it's a shoe in for Hillary, and I went and saw a movie, and I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden, he's like, hey, I got some bad news for you. You know, I get a call from a friend. I was like, oh no, I was I was in shock. I, I really it really surprised me. But you know, I get things wrong so often on any prediction. I thought the internet was a fad. Uh, you know, 
housing bubble. I thought, oh, this will last forever. Every every turn, it's like I get it wrong. So I'm not surprised at all that I got the election wrong. And well, everybody I mean, got it wrong. We, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, there were millions of us that were so sure. Absolutely, yeah. completely sure. <laughs> Nate Silver. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Delete that bookmark. Yeah. And, um... Yeah, but speaking of the golf, the golfing and the golf course, that's probably like my, it's hard to pick a favorite of his stupidity, but him picking on Obama's golfing is um, right up there. That's probably my, like my favorite. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's one thing that I noticed a lot is that um, what I saw was that a lot of his anger at Obama was this veiled jealousy. So he's angry at Obama for golfing. Because he wanted that liberty. He was angry at Obama for the attention Obama was getting. So he does things to get attention. He was angry at Hillary for the business deals. And then he gets in there and does business deals. Like, it, it runs down this, there's a list of foreshadowing anything he's mad about, then he goes and does. So we can kind of chronicle what's going to happen over his term just by rereading those old tweets. Yeah, a lot of people joke, they're like, it, you know, is he Nostradamus or something? Because, I mean, for for every, like, tirade that he has on Twitter, there's something from years ago that that counters it. And, yeah. and it's unbelievable. The, just, this, uh, it, it's sort of like this parallel universe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it, I think it was just, as he watched these other people, he's like, this is what I want. Yeah. And I'm angry that they're getting it and I'm not getting it. I think it is a very unfiltered id um, that he's expressing. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's, and I, I think, yeah, part of his popularity, too, is that id that he has. Um, and that's not sexuality. It's just self-indulgence. And I think that's part of his appeal is that he said, hey, I'm unfiltered id. You know, bring me in like this is and I will do this for you, too. Like I will they'll express your id through me. I'll validate your ideas by doing it myself. And I, I think that was a lot of his success. Well, it was. People couldn't wait to be racist again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not that it ever went away. It honestly, like, obviously, I'm, you know, we're not saying that. But I mean, openly, I mean, the Jewish centers that were targeted, it was there was just a wave of them and like, he didn't say yeah. anything. And then he goes to the Holocaust museum and is just like, you know, thinks he's paying such, you know, great honor. It's like, <laughs> what are you even doing? Yeah. It's, it's very strange. Um, yeah. I think some of it too was just novelty where people were wanting a novelty and, you know, we got like, it. He's, he's entirely a, a soundbite. Like, that's all he is, is just an entertaining soundbite. So the fact that he has all this responsibility to me is ludicrous. It's weird. Yeah, that is definitely weird. There are people behind him and around him that have intense agendas. And I think, like, with, I don't think he cares one way or the other about race or one way or the other about LGBT or, or 
uh, he you know, only hears about himself. Or, like, I mean, yeah, yeah he hears he, about himself like, he, and maybe his family. Exactly. Like he would absolutely, you know, kiss Laverne Cox if she were to back him and, and like give him right. tons of money. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's fascinating. It's really, it's really a, a, a case study. Um, in super villainry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one friend of mine said, he goes, yeah, this would be really funny if it weren't our president. I'm like, yeah, that, that, that sums it up pretty good. Basically. And, <laughs> you know, so with the, the fact that he's got his own tweets, and, and a lot of people say that anybody else, you know, unless they're an actual White House staffer, is off limits. I don't know if that's so true because the entire family has made themselves public figures. Yeah. So the fact that they've made themselves celebrities and made themselves public figures openly, I think that I think that allows them to be targets. But you do, really did only you like specify just things that he said, not just the stupid shit his sons have said. Right. Right. Yeah. Occasionally, uh, I would do. Like the the Muslims on the rooftops where he would retweet it. Right. Um, that's the after nine eleven. I saw Muslims celebrating. New Jersey. The, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And and which has obviously been not obviously, but it's been um, debunked repeatedly, and there's absolutely no evidence of that at all. And he just doubles down on it until it kind of becomes some truth for some people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that was kind of an exception because I thought that was really interesting and and significant. But for the most part, I wanted to just focus in on him and his sons are have, have, are stepping up more and more in terms of tweeting stupid things. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly plenty. Uh, you know, his one child that is the one that he's ashamed of is the the one who I don't think has done anything like <laughs> foolish. Right. You know, um, poor Tiffany. Um, but then, but yeah, the, the other three are particularly significant. Well, and now he's, you know, and he drags his, his littlest one into it. Oh, he's so upset about Kathy Griffin. It's like, really? Do you, do you think people were uh, <sighs> worried about the Obama children who were small and adolescent or whatever when there were effigies of their father being lynched? I mean, yeah, that was know. that was pretty horrifying. I yeah. mean, in my own town, there were somebody actually constructed a jail cell and put a Hillary um, prisoner <laughs> in it on their front lawn. I kid you not. It was right by the hospital. I'm like. Like, so wow. it's going to be a high traffic area. They, you know, and it was just, they were proud, man. It was like some, like they refurbished a shark tank or something. I don't know. And, um, they, yeah. And they had that thing out there for, I don't know how long. I mean, it's like a sign's not good enough anymore. Like just, right. Like, you, right. You know, Let's you have a diorama, <laughs> a walkthrough with wax figures. And yeah. I mean, on one hand, you know, I, I do, I do want, I am glad that people are, pulling down some of the filters and expressing. That's one thing when I lived in the South, I really liked that you would talk to people and they were racist and you would know it. And you knew when, it, yeah, and there was no hiding. And I lived in, yeah, in the Bay Area and there was all this subtext about, you know, more, more sexism or anger towards men or this or that or whatever. But it was all kind of been below the surface and kind of you it would take a long time to figure out what somebody's real feelings were about race or gender or um so on that front i i do i 
I am glad that you know I'm glad that people are putting that forward. But it, on the other hand, it's like, man, rein it in and don't be a, an asshole. Like this is disgusting. Like this, when you do these horrible, violent things publicly towards other people, it's just that's not good at all. So mixed feelings. <laughs> yeah, no, I see your point, and, and it's you know it's funny because it's. It, it's always people talking about, you know, oh, uh, yeah, there'll be a significant holiday and they'll be talking about how we need to be peaceful and love each other and be tolerant. And then the very next day, these people in power are the ones who are, you know, passing policy exactly contradictory to what they said. Yeah, that was one of the one of his tweets about, um, yeah, he gave it. I think, that was, yeah, it was the Jewish Holocaust thing where he, he talked about one thing and then. Yeah. Later that day, passed a bill that was 100% the opposite. It's mind-boggling. Really. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, you, uh, you could have a, you know, uh, obviously you already have a, a hilarious career path here. As a cartoon is something I think so many people would dream of. Um, you get to have fun. You get to, but but you, reading. 30,000 tweets and <laughs> trying to pluck out these gems. I can't, like, you, you said that you started having some nightmares. Um, yes. Well, I, you know, I started, I was working on the next, like, book of collecting New Yorker re- rejected cartoons. Because you send in 10 cartoons in New Yorker, and every now and again they buy one. So I wind up with this library of, of old cartoons. It's like, all right, I'll just make a little book. And I just, beginning of the year, and I was doing that, doing the next little book, is, and I was so bored with it. I just, like, ah, oh, God, I just have to look at my own crap again. And it was just, and then my friend just shut me up. He's like, ah, why don't you illustrate Trump's tweets? And I was like, oh. And it just, it was like an explosion. And I got excited. And I, so that night I did like 20 of them. Um, and just jumped in, and, and I was like, oh, I could do a book of this. So I, you know, called the publisher and said, hey, how about I do Trump tweets instead of doing more of the same, which I'm just bored with. And he, you know, like, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, so, awesome. yeah, that's – and it, I, I – it was one of those things where I go in thinking, oh, this will be easy. Same with the Bible project that I did is, is we went in thinking – Oh, this will be a three-month project that's really easy. And then, as we got deeper and deeper into the Bible, it just got harder and harder. And same with the Trump tweets, where it's like, oh, I'll do a few of these Trump tweets. Like, you know, I should really read thirty thousand of his tweets. Oh boy! <laughs> if I'm going to do this right, I need to, you know. Did you stay like sober through this? <laughs> I don't think I had a day of sobriety. Oh God. Um, <laughs> I'm just, vodka clock every day. Every yeah, uh, like it's round yeah. the clock. It, you know, it's a 24-hour news cycle, man. It's always vodka clock. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it, yeah. It was it, it was tough. You know, like when I start when I start thinking about the impact and the reality of it, that's when it's really depressing. Where I think, hey, this guy has genuine responsibility. The world is looking at us. We're the leading power. And this is representative of the United States, and it's kind of embarrassing. That's when I got depressed. If I looked at it, it's just like, oh, look at this silly thing, and what's he thinking about global warming? He's looking at snow and saying global warming doesn't exist because it's snowing. 
It's like, oh, that's kind of funny. And then I think, oh, no, this actually has – yeah, on, on the surface, it's all kind of funny. And then, and then thinking, okay, he has the power to dissolve the EPA. Yeah. And it's going to affect our water supply. And it's going to affect my health. It's going to affect my kids' health. Like, when I think about the impact, that's when I'm like, ah, man, where's that? <laughs> do I want a straight vodka or do I? Do, let's just forget the mixers on this one. Let's go. <laughs> Rocks or scotch. It, I noticed it was um, a lot of people, even, even folks who aren't cartoonists, started jumping on the bandwagon and taking his exact words from speeches or from tweets and playing with them and putting them over other things. Like one of the Twitter accounts that's hilarious is President Supervillain. Right. <laughs> and it's all Red Skull comics. Yeah. So it's like anything that Trump says with Red Skull saying it, and it just fits. It's There's terrifying. a real zeitgeist of it. Yeah, the Red Skull one, and then Mark Hamill doing him as a Joker voice. Oh, my God. Um, Sikoriak is doing a great book um, with uh, Trump quotes, and he's putting them to old Marvel comic style illustrations. Tom Toro is doing a, a book. We're going to do a panel together um, pretty soon, and and same with Sikoriak and I are going to do a panel in San Diego together. So yeah, there's a, like a lot of people are kind of like this, is, and that's what makes me think is like as a country we're trying to understand we're trying to understand this and, and come to terms with it and grapple with it. So. Yeah, it's, it really, like you said, it woke something up in you and it woke something up in, in, in a lot of different people. Like Mike Norton is one of my favorite artists. He's a swell guy, and he started doing Little Donnie comic strips. And oh, wow. So, yeah, so um, he started putting them out, and then they got so popular that he actually, like, made a Patreon just to, um, <laughs> like, keep up with it and to have a place to post things. So, um because people demanded more like it was it was just like one day like you just put out one and was like okay i've processed this and people were like no more we want more and so the processing i guess my processing is talking to people like you um because i don't i don't i don't get to have that creative outlet of drawing something you know funny or terrifying or satirical the um, catharsis it is very cathartic yeah. it's um yeah and yeah we're all dealing with it slightly differently and the, you know you have a traumatic event in your life and then you go through stages and and um, there's no joke there i mean how many cartoonists and comic book people have you seen you know get injured get sick and now they have to have like gofundmes put up because they're freelance and it sucks right um, like uh, Brian Glass just oh, yeah. fell off a ladder. Um, Jonathan uh, Mayberry tripped and fell and broke a couple ribs. I mean, it's uh, it's just awful uh, yeah. to, to think like, oh my God, if these people aren't superstars in their field, then you know, it's like every day we're wondering, do we lose our healthcare today? Because that's what I do. If I start thinking about healthcare, I'm like, all right, time to take the cat out for a walk. <laughs> and, and I got to get some air. I got to take the cat out um, because I'll lose it because it's, it's like, oh, I finally have medicine that allows me to walk without pain. So what's going right. to happen if that gets taken away? And one one thing that I think he's really found, and I think Obama's part of his intelligence on this, is that 
trying to get something through to give people something is very difficult. But once people have something, trying to take it away from them is a hundred times harder. And so Obama's thought on the healthcare thing is let's get this through and then people will rise to it and think it's good. And I think that that has happened. And, you know, a silver lining that I found on this presidency is that it's made people a lot more protective of their rights and activated a generation of, of political, politically aware kids, you know, who are like, hey, this is if we want democracy, we need to vote and fight for it. And, it's, you know, and this is all ages of people like Occupy Wall Street protests seemed like a specific like there were no kids there. Um, right. <laughs> but when it came to like the Women's March and, you know, any of the sister marches like that, I mean, there were women in their 90s. There yeah. were kids. There's I, I mean, it's the outcry is is unbelievable. I love that the, you know, the guys that I know, all the, the men in my life seem, except for, except for my dad, um, <laughs> seem to be uh, like really understanding and really supportive. Um, so uh, it's, it's not just like a core group of people. It just seems like there's it, so many people at risk. Yeah, it, it's activated people across the board, and and I can't imagine what's going on. I, you know, whenever I look at politics, I you know watch some, even when it's like the Comey hearing or something like that, where he's being interviewed, and I just feel like we're looking at the ripples on a deep pond, where underneath there's got to be just these monsters that are roiling about that we know nothing about, and we're just seeing the effects at the surface. Um, so I, I just am curious what what is going on in there because I know with the people I know, like you said, it's like everybody's kind of activated in a way that I've never seen in my life, and I'm just dying to know what is happening at the higher levels of well, like, are they are they as activated? Are they as freaked out? Are they? Um, I think they get freaked out when they're those that have retirement funds notice the balance. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. Because I once a week I hear my mother go nuts. <laughs> oh really? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. I'm like, just stop looking at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, for and no. then she got like really nuts. She started looking at it like every day, and I'm like, stop looking at it. Wow. I can't imagine having savings like that. I can't either. <laughs> I'm like, wow. What, what's that like? Yes. Yeah. Sounds like it only causes stress. From you know, yeah, I thought I was stressed out not having money, but I know. <laughs> what the hell? That's pretty great. I'm just gonna enjoy my tea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the and that each day I keep thinking like, oh, you know, the the, the shoe will drop and we'll sort of like close the chapter. But I wonder if he, because he's been in television for the last twelve years. Like, this has sort of been ingrained where he's imprinted on this idea of a cliffhanger. Because mm-hmm. he'll say, they say, hey, do you have tapes of your conversation with Comey? And instead of saying yes or no, or I don't want to tell you, he says, I'll tell you next week. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, like, you know, Stay like, tuned. there's your cliffhanger. Like, why say that? Why not just say maybe or I don't want to say it or 
no or yes. Like, he wants that. He's he's coveting this weird attention. That's so true. And, you know, like you, you point out that he started considering political office back in the late 80s and stuff. Yes. And um, it was clearly a different time. We didn't have Twitter. And right. he, he didn't necessarily have a camera in his face whenever he wanted, which, you know, things are different now. You know, it's There's cameras everywhere. <laughs> so I, I don't know if he would have gotten the satisfaction of that attention craving the way that he can today. Right. But clearly there's a hole in his soul that he's trying to fill. Yeah. And it's like, eating sugar for dinner, like it'll placate you, but it doesn't satisfy you. And so he's trying to fill this hole and through this weird drama and it's not filling the hole. And so he keeps creating more drama. Daddy didn't love him. Daddy, you know, (laughs) yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like that's a, I've wondered sometimes if like all famous people have that hole, in their, you know, like, and so, like, they gave it up to become famous. Like, no, that they started off hungry in some way. That that there's a, a psychosis, and so culturally, we're trying to give them attention to help them mature. It's a silly theory, but I thought about, you know, it's like one of those, like, huh, I wonder, if, like, you know, like the Dalai Lama or something. Like, okay, let's say that he's a mature guy, and he could. He'd be the same with or without all the attention, but um, this or that actor, maybe they need attention because they need help spiritually to oh, grow. You have to. Oh, holy cow! I can't believe you said that. I don't have my Kindle right um, at my fingertips, but I can, I can bounce over to my Instagram because I just posted um, sections of the Bhagavad Gita that perfectly describe this sort of personality. Really? Yeah. They, uh, uh, in this particular translation anyway, it's a conversation that Krishna is having with his favorite pupil, and he's trying to explain three types of energy and, um, and how it affects personalities and people's actions. So, of course, the one is when you're, like, in harmony and you're spiritual and, you, you know, you, you're devoted. Um, the second one is where you're aggressive and selfish. And even if you have, even if you don't come off as mean, if you do, a, like, if you perform a service for somebody else, it's only because uh-huh. you're, you expect something in return. So, right. so uh, it's described as self-important, obstinate, swept away by the pride of wealth. They ostentatiously perform sacrifices without any regard for their purpose. Egotistical, violent, arrogant, lustful, angry, envious of everyone. They abuse my presence within their own bodies and in the bodies of others. And so it's like, and it just goes. It's like pages and pages describing. Um, these three different types, and then like the third type is more um, a person who who doesn't take action, who's uh, stays like unaware and like depressed or or something like that. So like this, there's this whole big category that of and it's like this spiritual personality, and it's like everything they do. It's like I have this today, but I want 
more tomorrow and this is mine and I'm going to take that and I'm going to destroy that guy because he's an enemy and I don't like my enemies and I'm the best, I'm successful. And it's like all this stuff is written in these ancient words. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely recycling of wisdom that I... When I did the Bible project, like reading Ecclesiastes, I was like, oh, this really resonates with me. I like this Ecclesiastes, and it felt very current and relevant in a way that shocked me. But, yeah, I wonder if, if Trump's tweets, in a way, and I looked at this doing this, and this helped me get through the project, was to, go, to think, are his tweets a cry for help? And are, is his behavior a way of reaching out saying, hey, I'm, I'm immature, I'm a... I'm floundering. Give me wisdom. Help me grow. I need I need something in my soul that I'm not getting, and I like. And he's broadcasting out in order to get something back. Well, do you think that there's any authenticity when he starts to um, talk? You know, God bless America, and there's only one God in his tweets. I mean, like this is stuff that clearly he had no belief in before. Um, yeah, no, he's he's atheist. I, I, clear, I think he's totally atheist or, you know, maybe agnostic. He's just an atheist. He doesn't care. I mean, like, yeah, he doesn't care one way or the other about God or church or anything like that. Yeah, because um, it's like it's I, I, think, I think everybody sees through those sentiments and it's like, yeah, except for his voters, I guess. Mm. No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I think they're just like, oh, that's part of the game. It's and like somebody I, wrote that. <laughs> and a lot of times, yeah, that's one thing. Like, did Trump tweet that? is a good site to say what's the probability that this was actually Trump because he does have other people kind of fill the gaps. And a lot of the, a lot of the tweets that I read, it, you know, really it's not 30,000 tweets because a lot of them are quoting his book, retweeting somebody else, or saying something completely inane, like, you know, God bless America, or something, which was done by an assistant. And you can just kind of skim over all those. Well, it's um, funny when it was when everybody was joking, but not joking. There was what twenty four hours or more when he didn't tweet, and everybody was like, "Oh, Kellyanne took his phone away." Right, right. And it, it, it's like, yeah, because you know, people are telling you you gotta like bone up here. I mean, don't be such a jerk. And he probably was able to do it for yeah a day, and then and then stole um, his phone back. And then it was like, no, I'm getting, I'm getting more what I want by doing this, and saw the consequences. An unsecure phone, by the way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now, and now, you know, and Twitter's policy is like, if you tell the president, you know, you're a fucking asshole, they put you in Twitter jail. Right. And, you know, so the free speech of Twitter, you know, doesn't apply universally. Um, oh well, which, there's no free speech. I mean, it's a it's a corporation. Yeah, I mean that's exactly. You have to agree to their terms. It's just that if you have the verified check, you know, right. it makes a difference because other people get trolled every day, and without that blue check, Twitter doesn't give a shit. Oh really? What does the blue check do? Like it, um, it's just like that. You're verifying that you are who you are. It's a a, right. a validation. Um, you know, so celebrities have them. Although it, I'm absolutely astonished how many comic book people have them. It's, yeah, I hustled and got one. I emailed them and yeah, I did. I, it was funny. I was at a bar in Berkeley one night, and I'm sitting there drinking, and uh, there's everybody's talking about this school called Walden, which was in um, 
uh, a Berkeley school, uh, elementary school or, you know, middle school. And they're talking about sort of what's happening. Well, and I was like, oh, I, I went to Walden. And they look at me like, no, we're not talking about the pond. We're talking about the school that's here in town. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know. I went to Walden. <laughs> they're like, what? And I said, yeah, back in, you know, the 70s. <laughs> it's like, that's, that was my school. And so, you know, we're all talking and, um, and then, you know, what do you do? And blah, blah, blah. And one of the guys, you know, I was like, oh, you know, Jeremy. And I was like, oh, what do you do? And he's like, oh, I do uh, this sort of volunteer work at this place and this other thing and blah, blah, blah. And he sort of like hedged around about stuff. Um, and he's kind of a punk rocker guy. And we were talking about like the Gilman Project. And because he was like, oh, I'm getting a house by the, you know, down Gilman and fifth or something like that. I was like, oh, that's new, the Gilman Project. He's like, oh, yeah, the Gilman So we talked about that. And then eventually he's like, I was like, yeah, so how do you do this? And what do you do? And he's like, oh, well, I helped start uh, Twitter. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're one of the six, you, you were the original six. And But he, he had like an embarrassment to it that ran against his punk rock ethos. So it was just interesting that, and so, you know, I didn't bug him about it because he didn't really want to talk about it, but I was really curious, like, what he was thinking. Like those guys who are weekend bikers, you know, like they think they go to their Wall Street job Monday through Friday, and then they have some <laughs> yeah, a Harley Davidson that they drive on the weekends. They think they're tough. He was, I liked him. I mean, you know, he was, yeah, he, I mean, he was doing stuff in Hawaii and doing, like, education stuff and environment oh, stuff. Good. And, I'm glad some yeah. of has come from the money that, you know, they're obviously swimming in yeah and he wasn't dressed fancy or anything I mean, like he wasn't he was just and he was you know there's the this bay area kind of embarrassment of success that he was suffering Weird. from i was like oh that's funny like uh, you know a few people like that are like that and i don't know i don't know because it's like it seems like our culture just everything is about uh, the financial aspects of success like nobody cares if yeah. you're Nobody cares if you're spiritually successful or if you're mentally, you know, the fact that you go through your day and haven't gunned down your coworkers, like that, nobody considers that a success. Well, the it's, Bay Area is different. I mean, like there's there's a guilt with financial success there and a shame where from the hippies. Is that yeah, it yeah, it, it's an anti-establishment. It's real. Yeah. Like when I would be in the Bay Area and I would have that and I'd be like, oh. You're turning 16, you should get a car. And I just wanted, like, the funkiest car possible that I could pay for myself. And then I go to Texas, and everybody uh, at all levels of income would get a brand-new car when they turned 16. And I was – I felt guilty about having a, a a Toyota from 1976. Like, that's <laughs> what I ended up buying for, you know, $400 that I could afford. And I wanted to work for it and buy it myself. And, it was just so different where they're like, no, I want a six-cylinder. Yeah, so it's definitely the Bay Area has a slightly different um, ethos about these things. Yeah, I'd love to, to visit sometime because I, I had the pleasure of going up to Woodstock for a day. I don't know if you've been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, it's such a charming, adorable town. <laughs> Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, my God. I could not believe I'm like, I just want to stay here. Like, I never want to leave. It's like, I don't know if, if I guess, like, if Mr. Rogers smoked a lot of weed. I don't, it's, <laughs> there were 
were white picket fences and every other address was a yoga studio. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and, and all of the, the artisans, because there were so many different kinds of art, all, all the artisan boutiques and galleries, like, you know, that stuff, like, there was, like, this great big painting of a black cat, and I had just adopted my cat. And so I was like, oh, it looks like Gus. And it was, like, I don't know, like, hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And I was just like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm like, no, you're, you're looking at the wrong person. Um, That's great. Like, you know, like, my car really is beat up and used, and my clothes do come from thrift stores. <laughs> right, right. You're not, it's not a put-on. It's like, a genuine, I'm, yeah. Yeah, like, you know. And, and it's just so funny because, like, there was a pair of jeans there that had Superman, like, um, like bed sheets cut up and patched onto them. And so this boutique was selling them for $300. Because somebody, <laughs> right. somebody sewed, like, repurposed sheets onto, and it's just. Yeah. I had patches on my clothes because my clothes needed patches. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, dude, you've never taken a 50% off coupon and gone to the sale rack. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. And in Berkeley, too, like now it really has changed where there's a bunch of old hippies, but then there's these sort of middle-aged professionals and then young trust fund. Yeah. So... Well, that's like, because you're close to, um, like, the, the all those computer genius areas, right? Yeah, yeah. And and San Francisco has, like, a 0.1% uh, vacancy rate in their in their re- real estate right now. Like, the... Wow. Yeah, it's a crazy... It's a... Yeah, it's a crazy high-level, hardcore city or area. I mean, like, it's... Or megapolis. I mean, it's a city that is... Spreads out over, you know, five cities. Right, right. So you could do your job from anywhere. So why why do you stay there? The food, the community, the art scene, um, the weather, um, and then and then there is some merit to being around a place like the you know you like I'm near dark horse in portland so when i have a problem i go down there in person uh-huh. and they're going to pay more attention to me because i go into the office and then i'm a you know same i think with the with the telecommuting of of the bay area it's like if you're working for i don't know google or pixar or whatever you know you go down you're in the office and you have your meetings and are seen so um and then maybe it's status symbol too, where there's like, okay, I've got a two million dollar home, and it shows that I'm successful, and people want that symbol. It sounds where, so nice over yeah. there because I've never seen the West Coast. <laughs> really? Yeah. So it's so I just like I, I just drool over people's like Instagram photos, and like I can't believe it. Yeah, it's all fiction. I mean, like that's it's the West Coast is it's a you know especially. Southern color, like this is where fiction is created. You know, like yeah. they're it is it's the, all fantasy right there. It's just yeah, awful. it's that's a profession is is fantasy creation. So it's yeah, kind of cool. It's, it's like it's yeah. like you, it's like an amusement park with like different you know the different countries of of Disney <laughs> or whatever. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's, so awesome. that's California. Small world, after all. Yeah. No, it, it's great. I mean, it, it pluses and minuses, but. Um, yeah, I've, I've I've liked it, but I I've been displaced from mm-hmm. you know I can't live in the Bay Area because of 
yeah, it's too expensive for me. I was listening to somebody talk about like, you know, oh, these gentrification of places. And I was like, oh, that's too bad. These people and getting, you know, a place gets gentrified and they get, they get pushed out and God, that must really be terrible. And I was, you know, I was having that, you know, sort of like, you know, White liberal. Guilt. Yeah. And then I realized like, wait, I've been displaced. I'm one, <laughs> like, there's no way I can live in the Bay area. Even in a tiny little house, I'd have to work two yeah. jobs and my, there's no way. And yeah. yeah, my friend is in Park Slope and he can never leave because he's in a rent control place. <laughs> he's like, you don't understand. He's like, and he lives, he, he described it as like some like dive, like, you know, little tiny itty bitty place. And he's like, these hipsters moved in, and now these places, he's like, I was literally stepping over people with needles in their arms. And he's like, and now it's like your fancy mustard store is on the corner, and your your place that only sells pickles. And, uh, I mean, and yeah. all, all the rent is like, you know, $5,000 a month. And <laughs> oh, that does like, give me an idea for a cartoon where you have, like, a series of stores, and each one sells something artisan. Part. Yeah, yeah, sandwich part. And then the end of the block is a place that will put together your artisan sandwich. Yeah. For you, so it's like six shops to make a sandwich. Yeah. Um, the Henry we'll Ford. We'll see if I can play. Yeah. yeah. Henry Ford gentrification. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's good. Yeah. That's a good little concept. <laughs> but but this, but talking about like the mortgage and stuff reminds me. Um, Katie Cook is. Oh, my God. Like, I mean, she's hilarious to talk to, but, like, following her online is so hysterical because she'll talk about her kids and all of these animals. And she had they, – they were trying to buy a house. So first it was this drama of how the mortgage companies wouldn't approve her as a cartoonist because she couldn't verify her Star Wars money or My Little right. Pony money. It's like right. My Little Pony and Star Wars. Like, I mean, are you fucking kidding? And – you know, they're like, but you're freelance. We don't want to take a risk on you. And then, you know, then you know, she goes through the same thing of trying to buy a car. <laughs> She's like, well, you're trying to get a car loan, but you're a freelance cartoonist? What? And the, yeah. the funniest one, though, was that they went to go get a couple more kittens to add to their menagerie. And the ad adoption center place was like, your cartoons, we're not sure about your ability to um, provide for these animals. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> she, she had to go, like, to, I don't know, like, a different shelter, just to be able to get, like, a couple of cats that would have been killed. Wow. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not sure if you taking care of the cats is better than death. Yeah. <laughs> like, we don't, know that, we don't know about that Star Wars thing. We don't know if that's going anywhere. If you, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's horrible! What an invalidating experience. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so is it, I mean, do you do you go through that kind of stuff too? Is, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, one night, I, like the New Yorker has such weight to it, and I was at the bar the other another night, and I'm talking with some guy, and and he's saying, you know, what do you do? And I said, oh, I I'm I cartoon. And again, this is a very Bay Area thing that I find myself doing where I'll downplay everything. And he's like, oh, do you get published? I'm like, yeah, I get published. 
He's like, oh, what do you, you know, what do you do? I like, oh, I do some underground comics, and I get <laughs> appear in some magazines, off. and no, I just don't want to. And then I, I, I finally said, okay, there's no way I can say this without sounding like an asshole, but I get published in the New Yorker. <laughs> we both started laughing because he knew exactly because it, yeah, it sounds pretentious. It sounds like you're, it's you know. Uh, like, your yeah, chauffeur is going to pick you up when you're done with your martini. Right. I, I just left my monocle in my back pocket. But <laughs> let me get it out for you. It's, uh, um, yeah, so that's helped a lot. Yeah, the, the New Yorker does have a old-school resonance that validates. So, yeah, My Little Pony and Star Wars, that is kind of it's, – it's heavy money, but it doesn't have that um, that echo of nobility or echo right. of legitimacy. So – but – yeah, most when it gets to real money, like going into the bank and saying, "Yeah, I'm freelancing this." It's what's your income? Like, well, it's variable. Like last year, I did great. The year before, I did terrible. You know, like <laughs> next year, I don't know. <laughs> now um, you have Trump content, <laughs> right? Maybe this book will sell, and maybe it won't. And I'm a gambler. That's what I am. Um, yeah, that's yeah, it's tough because that's it's abnormal and it's outside the system and. I think I squeaked in when I was buying my house on the last, right before the crisis where they tightened up all the reins, where they were, I, they were still giving out mortgages to dead people. And I think that's where <laughs> cartoonist is like one notch above dead. So oh, well, there you go. I, I squeaked in there. Um, but now I, I don't think, even though I'm making more money now, I don't think that I could do the same thing. So... And I no idea buying a car, how that would, uh, that sounds horrible. <laughs> See, there's an East Coast thing that is just so great, is that you don't have to buy a car. Oh, you do where I live. Really? Unless you plan on taking your horse 20 miles, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I mean, and that was, like, when we moved here, it was obviously very different. There were no strip malls, so, like, it was a 20-minute trip if you ran out of milk and eggs. Um but, you know, so it's a little bit different now. We had no bagels. This is, like, the the thing that people love to hear. We had no bagels. You had to drive 45 minutes to get a bagel. That sounds like a 50s novelty song. I know, really. Like, we had no bagels, and then uh, like, yeah, the hats, and I, we had no bagels. <laughs> I, should, I, should, I should send that to one of yeah, the steampunk musicians, because <laughs> that totally needs accordion music. Like It does. It does, and a ukulele. and Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> make sure those, those uh, the guys from this way to the egress, uh, make sure they, they get uh, on that. I love buying, the, like when I find old music, like the old, there's these novelty songs from the 20s, and I, I just bought one last week. It's like, you know, five bucks, you get this. But it's a beautiful kind of window in the past, but like four great comic songs, and the first one is, Oh, What a Hat. <laughs> and another one is oysters raw 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 like but, what a this is great <laughs> but seriously some of the classic poetry is the same way which whether it was like a bronte or whoever like they're literally wrote like eight lines about a bee on a flower right <laughs> I, you know Although my comics are pretty inane too like oh let me obsess on how to you know, what the cat's doing or something. You know, <laughs> now they have Ani DeFranco. I'm just saying. There's, there's bee on a flower. and <laughs> Right. And then That's great. Then there's vagina monologues. Right. 
Oh, maybe uh, that's what that meant. I once tried to write a, uh, a, a sequel to the, I, I, it was a gag, but I, I it's like the sequel to the vagina monologues was that, um, clitoris soliloquy. Oh, see? Poor little thing <laughs> left alone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it, it didn't, it's, it, I, every now and again I'll try to write sequels to, like, um, oh, what was the other one that I was working on? The, um, uh, Waiting for Godot. Mm-hmm. And so the sequel would be Godot comes, and he turns out to be a real bored. So they're like, the sequel would be Waiting for Godot to leave. leave? And it would be three yeah. of them on stage, basically a repeat of Waiting for Godot, which I kind of hate. But, you know, anyway, sequels. But it's, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's sort of how memes, like, evolve, and they get taken up a notch and a notch and a notch. Because I remember when we, when we first spoke years ago, we were talking about the cat on a Roomba. Oh, yeah. And now there's, like, a cat on a Roomba in a shark costume. Now there's cat on a Roomba in a shark costume with a baby in a shark costume chasing it. So it looks like right. sharks running around the kitchen. And then it'll be like, oh, but we got to have, like, the, the little, you know, I don't know, the puppy in the – it's like they just keep going up and up and up. And, and it's a language in and of itself, and so we don't even know the root word of that you know, why is this Roomba, what is a Roomba? And, you know, what is this, why is there, you know, three cars in a Roomba? Like, how is this funny? <laughs> you know, like, but yeah, it just evolves out of the source. That's interesting. Well, I, even like in the, the novels, when I was writing them, I was afraid to use things that might be dated in a couple of years. I'm like, how do you know? Like you were talking about your, you know, your speculations on whether things are going to go a certain way. I was like, how, how do we know Facebook's not going to go like MySpace did? Oh, like, it will. It definitely know, will. I mean, someday it will. And so it's like, so if I'm writing these novels and I write Facebook, it's like, you know, is that going to sound terrible in five years? Yeah. My friends, when I first, I don't know if you said this last time, but when I first got the, the cartoon in the New Yorker and they were saying, you know, I was like, oh, you know, so happy I got a cartoon in. Oh, you know, what what is it? Two cats talking, yeah, saying something pithy that's funny now, but you'll have to explain to your kids because it doesn't make sense. And, I mean, they just went on and on deconstructing it. They didn't know what the cartoon was, and they threw darts and hit bullseyes. I was like, yes, yes, that's exactly what it is. (laughs) Two cats talking, they're saying something pithy. It won't be funny in five years. It's a, yeah. And they're on Roombas. Yeah. And they're on Roombas, yeah. (laughs) That was the cartoon, yeah. Didn't I see you on YouTube writing a Roomba? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I have had to explain to people what a Roomba is. and Oh, my goodness. What YouTube is. <laughs> well, you know, I'm still waiting for a Rosie the Robot made from the Jetsons, you know. And it's oh, creepy yeah. that there's some shit like that out there. There was a friend of mine... Um, was like working in security or something. There was like some big like trade conference or something about security, and it was like this this crazy of like this robot that does everything. And it's like seriously, you're gonna okay, fine. It's not armed, but you're seriously giving a robot security guard duties right now. Like yeah, it has facial recognition. Mm-hmm. Certainly, because Mark who I did the Bible with in his. Um, when he wrote the press comic, he wrote about a robot security guard and kind of them malfunctioning. And then shortly after, they had that press release where they're like, we are installing these facial recognition 
robots that will talk to you. They'll interface so you can go up and ask information. So they're multifunctional, but it was – Mark had no idea that that was a real thing. He was doing a parody, and then within a month, like, the parody he was doing was a reality it's like Star Trek. That's just absurd. <laughs> Although I'm still waiting for a teleporter, but it's so it's so true and it's so scary because there's like only like certain people you know you can make RoboCop jokes with because right. then like they did that reboot which failed I guess, but it was it, you know it's one of those things where it's like if they haven't remade the movie then it's like just our generation that's going to get this joke. Right. You know, they're, they're not going to understand what OCP is. <laughs> or, or Tyrell Corporation or, yeah, yeah. all uh. that. Yeah, my mother, you want to know about my mother? Yeah, all the little lines. Yeah, in my, I, I teach a cartoon class and sometimes I'll reference something and if it's not within the last five years, then it's, unless it's been, yeah, reboot, remade in some terrible way. Yeah, it's interesting. It's funny. Yeah, it's either been endlessly regurgitated and cemented into our culture, or mm-hmm. it's gone. Mm-hmm. And there's no middle class of, oh, we kind of vaguely know these things. We vaguely know, you know, we have this. I keep having to explain to a friend of mine who will make a joke and then explain it. I said, no, we've got the same library of information. <laughs> if you make a Star Trek joke, I will get it. Like, I know what the Tribbles are. I know, you know, the Tholian's Web. I know I've watched every Star Trek, as you have. Like, I've read these same books that you have. Like, you don't need to explain Master and Commander joke to me. (laughs) See, and I I didn't, uh, this is where the thing, like, I only have, like, limited Star Trek. So I didn't get the meme about the four lights that was about. Oh, yeah. Well, that's Next Generation, too. That's not even real Star Trek. Okay, yeah. Then. But yeah, so I so it was like some sort of Trump thing. I'm like, okay, now I feel left out of the joke. <laughs> well, YouTube, uh, not YouTube, but the, the uh, Netflix, which yeah. we'll have to explain in five years what Netflix was. Really, but there is an amazing ability to consume things from our past, and Historical that's kind of documents. Yeah, yeah. You want to watch all the old Star Treks? You know, like here you go. Yeah. And that's because, uh, oh, what the hell? There's a there's a new McFarland show coming out where it's like, it's a further spoof. Like, Galaxy Quest was a spoof of Star Trek. Well, now there's like a new show with uh, McFarland coming out, uh, which is like even spoofier, apparently. I don't know. Yeah, uh, well, I you know, Star Trek was a spoof. Like, that's the thing is like, you know, like there, they it was perfect, and I don't see why spoofing Star Trek because it's. I mean, Shatner overacted. Yeah, it's that was kind of funny, and I like that he overacted. It doesn't need to be explained to me that he overacted. You know, like that <laughs> doesn't do anything more for me. I'm kind of resentful of some of those. Hey, Galaxy Quest is all right though. That was pretty had some moments. Yeah, I can probably quote that one. <laughs> oh, man, it was so was great because oh. every time Sigourney Weaver was shown, her zipper was down just a little bit more. That's like. funny. That's great. <laughs> I was in a, um, 
friend of mine was working at MTV, so he calls me and he's like, oh, okay. there's that during San Diego. He's like, come over to the hotel, this room, blah, blah. So I go in and, and they were having artists draw while they would interview celebrities. So you'd have a cartoonist drawing things. And so he set me up. So I'm sitting there drawing, waiting. And there, and I, people on the radio is like, he's in the building. He's coming in. He's here. Yeah, okay, he's going up the elevator. And then William Shatner comes in. So it's William Shatner, me, and two film guys, like an interviewer, and then two people doing the filming, like a sound guy and a camera guy. And I was like, you know, wow. It was just a nice thing for my friend to set me up with. But the interviewer at one point says, yeah, we have all these conventions. We've got... Um, we've got Star Trek conventions. You've even had like the tech conventions, uh, you know, like Star Trek con, tech con, um, like everything you've been in, there's sort of a convention for it. Do you think there's going to be a hooker con that you attend? No. <laughs> this is a long time. <laughs> it was pretty great. I don't know. And, and, you know, he just, he rolled with it and he flipped it on the oh, guy. Yeah. He, and he was like, well, yeah, what am I doing here anyways? And then, and so, and then the guy said, yeah, you know, I aspired to the interviewer. He's like, I aspired to be an actor myself, and I went to this place. And did you think that you being an actor? And it, like, he's going on about his own resume. And then oh, no. Shatner it, interrupts him. And he says, let's, uh, let's get back to the important things of, like, what I came here to talk about. Me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, That's wow, so him. Just, he just owned the room. It was just funny. I mean, it's you know, it was over the top and very intentional and very deliberate, and it was great. It was. I wonder, you know, it's just one of those things where I wonder if he would be who he is today if it wasn't for Star Trek. I mean, the the not just the celebrity of it, but that sort of that icon status. You know, like you know. Oh, not at all. No, he. Yeah, he. That show. If he had it's, it, gone on to do something else, like start in soap operas for 10 years or something, you know. Like. Yeah, it's kind of one of those unfortunate but great things at the same time where you have a role that so fits you that they become indistinguishable. Like, I mean, uh, Leonard Nimoy did that too, or mm-hmm. Jack Ham being in, in um, uh, Mad Men. You know, like every time you see Jack Ham, you just think of, Don Draper, like he is Don Draper, and it's going to be very difficult for him to break out of that persona. I like Dave Sim doing Cerebus, like he is going to be Cerebus. Yeah, and it's and sometimes they never quite make it, and other times they just kind of have to play off it, like Will Wheaton. Yeah, who's just like he's just rolling with it. He's like, all right, yeah, I guess I'll play myself. <laughs> and Nimoy fought it for a while. And, you know, I am not Spock. Yeah, yeah. And then he tried to do all these things to, and then, and then he embraced it and said, Oh, you know, like actually I'll just accept this and move forward. And it seemed like Shatner never really had that conflict of um, conscience or something. I struggle. I mean, I don't know much, obviously much like a million times smaller degree of just doing too much coffee man and then how do i get out from under this because i was constantly oh you're the too much coffee man guy right. and yeah, it's like eh. well that's it's something that i talk about with other writers a lot too is um that some people feel really forced to have separate names for their publications, separate pen names specifically to use as branding because people don't like the idea of, 
well, you write grown-up books, but you also write kids' books. It's like, you know what? Right. Like, Madonna put out a kids' book. Like, can you just get over this? Right. <laughs> she did. Um, yeah. And yeah, But if Mo Williams, you know, wrote some pornography, that would be really weird. <laughs> Here's a whole, what, Piggy and Bird and Piggy or something. That's a line of kids' books that are oh, pretty great, but... I was thinking about that. I was like, what if he did something adult, like really adult? I was like, that would be weird. Isn't that what, um, was it, Craig Yeo? Isn't that what those books are? Like, you know, he got fired from D.C. or something, so he made all his porn comics look like Lois and Superman. Oh, I didn't know that. That's great. It's Craig something. Um, Yeah. Oh, I should check that out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're like, you know, they're the, the old, uh, you know, because it's that old pulpy style, uh, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, that's fascinating. I, yeah. It, culturally, I mean, do people that you know and they do that, does that help them or does that hurt them by having these different identities that they're trying to work under or? I don't know. I think, I think some artists are fine sticking to what they're good at and I think other artists are willing to spread their wings. Right. And it's, you know, that's one of those things we were talking about spirituality and you have to figure out what's true for you. You know, what's your dharma, Shannon? What's your dharma? <laughs> well, the New Yorker things have been a blast. Like that is, and then the Trump book is a nice synthesis of various other old projects. And But yeah, getting out from Too Much Coffee Man was, you know, a 10-year project kind of. Um, and I tried a lot of things that didn't get me out from there. And the New Yorker was the only thing that had the weight to do it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So are you doing like a, any kind of big signing tour or something fun for, for this? I don't know, fun. <laughs> it's, it's, well, work. Um, it's work. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I will. Once it hits, um, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the East Coast. I've got a few places in the Midwest, um, maybe Texas. I'd like to go back to Austin, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, and I'm starting. I'm starting here in the West Coast. There's a, a local shop that said, um, you know, just as I was starting the book, he goes, "If you do this book, I'll buy 200 copies on day one, and we'll have a big signing." Okay, I was like, okay. and that kind of pushed me over the top. Him saying that, and I know it was two beers in, and um, but it's still, I was like, wow, there's. There's a pull for this. This is a, you know, it's interesting. You know, there's a zeitgeist on this. And that was before all these other things um, happened. And so, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to try to hit a, a bunch of places. And this is, now is the time when I have to shift gears. And that's one really difficult thing is to go from being creative gear of let me take this stuff and try to write and draw these comics and try to make sense of it to let me now do podcasts and go on tour signing and set up things like the logistics of doing a signing in New York. Like, where do I go? Who do I, how do I do it? Or. Don't you have North an Carolina. to do that stuff and take care of y'all? Huh. I think those, those days have gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, um, you have um, the books coming out, through, like I said, through Top Shelf. So how uh, 
was it just you just went there? You didn't worry about pitching this to anybody else? You were just familiar with them because of the other work? Yeah, they've been really good. And actually, yeah, they do have a lot of – there is um, – you know, a PR guy who's been really good and then an editor and graphics, like hook, hooking me up with a graphics person who makes it look better and then gave me people to bounce things off of and I didn't have to worry about... I thought about doing it as a Kickstarter. It was between this and a Kickstarter. Okay. And it was close because I thought a Kickstarter, I might be able to make 40 grand up front and on this I'll make five grand and then over the course of time maybe make you know 40 grand but maybe not um and i would know with a kickstarter too whether it's successful or not i can say like okay this is my you know the the six month nut that i need to live on for you know um not to go into too much like not talking money oat- details not but. not oatmeal money not, <laughs> not- <laughs> right still pretty much oatmeal money i don't know the oatmeal's gotten expensive it's like you know you get the steel cut you know organic oatmeal it's like seven bucks a pound that's just not cheap um (laughs) you want the good stuff um it takes four hours to cook yeah yeah i know Uh, i've made that same thing with rice like yeah like wait what happened i thought rice was two minutes that's what the commercial yeah no no you got the artisan stuff that's a pain in the ass oh great um all right, so but yeah, so, so people yeah, can kind of like great. keep keep up with you somehow so that they can follow like if in case you're coming to their area. And Twitter is the best, Twitter. and that's the at much coffee um, Twitter handle, I guess. And then obviously through like the top shelf is is helping organize a lot of stuff. Um, and then I have a website of uh, TMCM, which is short for Too Much Coffee Man dot com. Um, Facebook, Googling, a quick Google, you know, all that stuff is kind of vomited up, so. Okay. I mean, look at you. you got a Wikipedia page. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A couple. One for me, one for uh, the comic, one for the opera. I don't know. The, the, yeah. Yeah, it's wrong, left and right on the Wiki page, too. And it's a total pain in the butt that, you know, you got to call up your friends like, hey, my dad didn't leave my mom to go start a commune. They met on the commune. Like, can you fix this? You can't just like fix it. That doesn't count as no. like authentic, uh, authentic. Uh, what do I call it? Verification, Authentic- authenticity, right. or authentication? Um, no. Uh, yeah. No. If anything, it's so it, funny. It's a, if they, if your friends admit that they're a friend of yours, then it's a partisan change, and it's discredited because you're. Soliciting and encouraging a, a change, even if it is a correction, it's not even because politicians and bullshit people go in and they want things to be flattering mm-hmm. when their lives are. It doesn't necessarily reflect their lives, you know. So people are selling stuff like they're trying to paint a picture that is, you know, not not a photorealistic one. Well, you're very humble, as we know from. That whole Bay Area thing. <laughs> More like insecure than humble, but sure. <laughs> All right. So, okay, Twitter is much coffee and uh, tmcm.com for everything else, yes. I guess. Um, and uh, if you guys are, you know, staying in uh, the stream of comics, 
news, then um, Top Shelf, you'll probably see releases from that and whatnot. But oh, and then Dark Horse, they just did a reissue of my um, the Too Much Coffee Man Omnibus. And Dark massive. Horse has been. It is, and it's cheap, too. They priced it like 30 bucks or something. It's crazy. And it's hardback. It's, it's ginormous. Yeah. I don't know why. I kind of wish they'd charge more for it. it, it uh, well, I have a soft cover version. This one has some color pages. It's that pain in the ass thing where we changed about 15 pages in it. So it's a new Just version. so that, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's the same thing. It's, you know, it's the same joke over and over again anyway. <laughs> but then you have to refile it and get a new ISBN number. And <laughs> right. Yeah. No, we added color. I think there's like, I think there's about 100 new pages or something like that. There's, there's a bunch of new stuff that I've done since the first Omnibus. And so we just expanded it. So this is the Omnibus Plus. I mean, it's like a coffee table book, and, it, you know, by next year you'll actually be able to just stick legs under it and use it yes. as a coffee table. <laughs> Which is the good Kramer joke that nobody will remember. Oh, yeah. Coffee table book about coffee, coffee tables. tables. Which turns into a coffee table. Yeah, that was great. All right. Well, Shannon, I'll let you go back to your, um, you know, ridiculously fun life. Oh, I know. In this conversation, I think Trump has tweeted three times. So I've got... You've got so much work to do. Three more cartoons to draw up here. Oh. Yeah. No, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. It really... It was a good... It's always good, so... So look for Shit My President Says uh, <laughs> coming out this summer very soon. Um, and follow Shannon because he's amazing. And, nah. and we will have to talk more than once every four years because that's absolutely. Best. Yeah, no, I'm gonna be. Yeah, yeah. You got to come out to San Diego or when I'm out in New yeah, York, really. I'll see you or yeah, you know, for sure. Okay. I gotta have a, a vodka with you is what I gotta have. That's, I know. that's what's gonna happen. Seriously, I like so. myself a, a good lemon martini, man. I'll drink the vodka. You drink the coffee. I think that's. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have, I keep, you know, I do keep my coffee usually in the morning. I'm pretty good about it. That's good. I'm having That's cranberry good. tea right now that a, a sweet friend sent to me, so. A friend said that uh, uh, coffee and alcohol is the yin and yang of modern life. I love so. it. I, lo- I was like, ah, oh, I wish that was my quote. I had to read another, like, spirituality book, and, like, the guy is talking about cutting out caffeine and detoxing, and I'm like, dude, hell no. It's like, I will keep some demons. <laughs> some of the demons are going to stay. Toxins are my identity, so yeah. there you like, go. I mean, I'm never going to be zen, I, but, okay, we have an understanding uh, now. You're more zen than most zen people, so you've got that. <laughs> cool. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, Shannon. You guys, oh, yeah, don't forget to follow me, too, because, you know, I tweet a lot at Elizabeth Absolutely. Amber. Yeah, Elizabeth Amber, and it's Amber Unmasked on Instagram, um, which is mostly cat pictures. Um, <laughs> so if you need inspiration, you know where to go for cartooning. Um, there's cats in a stroller, cats on leashes, whatever. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. My, uh, my boy is ridiculous. He's He's a spoiled child. Oh, that's great. Um, so, all right, guys. Till next time. 